Well, happy Friday, everyone. Welcome to Conversations on Care, our Facebook talk show bringing together our healthcare partners, our clients, and caregivers to help families better understand and cope with aging parents with chronic care needs. My name is Julie Collada, and I'm the founder and CEO of Open Arms Solutions. And Open Arms is a home care agency serving the Chicagoland area focusing on inspired home care solutions for seniors with chronic conditions such as dementia, Parkinson's, and other movement disorders. It is our mission to help our families through this journey and to know that their loved one is living their best life possible. If you find these dialogues helpful, please do give us a like and a share on Facebook so that this information in the show can reach more people who need it. If you have questions or topics you'd like to learn more about, uh, please write them in the comments below. We'll do everything we can to get it into our program. Hi, Terry. <laughs> uh, hi, Julie. It's a pleasure to be here today. It's really great to be with you. Thank you so much for being on our program. You were on our program many, many months ago. So we appreciate your, your coming back. No, maybe years ago. I mean, it's COVID is a kind of blurred time for me somewhat. Um, but I'd like to um, introduce everyone to you and read a little bit about your background. Um, Terry is the chief advocate and president um, of North Shore Senior uh, Patient Advocates. Terry is an RN with over 36 years of experience, has always been passionate about keeping the patient at the center of the nursing care model. This passion led her to form North Shore Patient Advocates LLC in 2011 uh, NSPA is one of the first organizations of its kind in Chicagoland with a background in critical care nursing and home-based health care combined with experience as a cardiovascular nurse clinician. <coughs> Excuse me, Terry knows the complexities and challenges of obtaining premium quality care, especially in fast-paced <laughs> hospital settings. Having worked closely with physicians and ancillary healthcare team members at some of the country's most premier hospitals, she firmly believes in the principles of positive collaboration and the benefits of improved communication between patients and providers. She is committed to helping patients navigate acute illnesses and reducing the possibility of medical error. She has an eye for spotting details a lay person is unlikely to notice. Thank you for what you do. Um, and so glad to have you here. And talking about, there's so many different things you, we, we want to have you on this program to tell people about, but today our topic is advocating for your loved one with dementia, which I know we're, your team and my team are, are very uh, dedicated uh, to doing. So, Terry, let's start out. Um, we, we had a little bit of a, a, back, a background of what you do. You, you founded this, your company about in 2011, so mm -hmm. 11 mm -hmm. years ago. Yeah. 
Wow. And advocacy is 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 a passion of yours, clearly, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. You know a lot. You've worked with a lot of families. You've been. Um, I'm sure you've witnessed a lot of different things that families go through in an acute care mm-hmm. um, setting. And so um, why don't we start out with, you have the name advocacy in, in the name of your company. So can you, what's the definition of advocacy? Because it's a, it's, an, it's, it's, it's a common term, but I don't know if everyone really understands what that means, especially in the healthcare setting. Well, absolutely, Julie. And there are a lot of um, different um, definitions for advocacy. And it's used in so many different ways today. I always have to tell people that my definition of advocacy, especially in today's complex healthcare um, climate, is someone who fills the gaps. Um, probably over 85 or 90% of patient advocacy in this country is done by family members, as it well should be. Um, Think about um, when you were raising your kids and and maybe um, your child got sick and you took them to the emergency room and you were their patient advocate. You had to tell their story. Maybe they were too sick to be able to tell their story. They were too young. They didn't know how to put things into the right words. And a lot of times um, professional patient advocates advocates are um, tasked with with um, being that advocate for people that don't have family around. We call them senior orphans. There's a growing demographic of, of people in our country that are aging without anybody at all close by. We have several couples that are actually senior orphans in the Libertyville area. One of them does have um, a child um, who lives in rural California. Another one has a daughter that lives in Canada. It would take them 12 to 24 hours to get here in case of an emergency. So we are that substitute for them when they can't get here quickly. And as people age, they have more and more health problems. So it's nice to have a nurse in the family, so to speak, that can fill those gaps, can communicate in medical language, can um, communicate to the family what's really going on, can empower patients. And and so um, I think if COVID has taught America anything at all, it's that everybody in America today needs a patient advocate with all the current healthcare um, changes and concerns over patient safety and, and confusion over patient rights. Um, more and more people are choosing to hire their own private um, professional patient advocate. And that's what we are. We're nurses, so we understand the healthcare system and we're professional patient advocates. Yeah, that's wonderful. And thank you for that explanation. Uh, you know, the other, the other, you know, you, the definition that you've, you've given so far is great. And it's, it's people who might be too young Mm-hmm. To be able to think of the questions to ask or intimidated mm-hmm. might be older and not in a, in a position either by experience or mm-hmm. where they are in their life to ask the right questions. But I also think about when I think of advocacy, I think of like when we do an assessment for uh, mm-hmm. someone who's considering needing care. It's typically the adult children who reach out to us more times than not. Mm -hmm. More times than not, it's the adult daughter. Yeah. 
And we often, when we do an assessment and an intake, and I think you'll relate to this, um, I'm sure you'll relate to this. We always request that a family member be there mm -hmm. because often the senior just doesn't have that same perspective of mm -hmm. how much help they need mm -hmm. or they're, I don't know if the right word is they're embarrassed or they're not, they don't feel yeah. comfortable really opening up about what's going on. Yeah. Right? Mm -hmm. And so, and I, and I think about those people and I know from my own experience that sometimes when I've gone into the doctor's appointment myself, mm -hmm. you know, I feel a little intimidated because, and I don't necessarily really potentially ask those additional questions mm -hmm. that I know I probably should ask the doctor, right? Or, but I feel a little intimidated because they're the, they're the doctor. And so I think that whole advocating, that whole topic of advocating, advocating for yourself. And people have to feel that they're strong enough to advocate, yet uh, it's somewhat intimidating Mm -hmm. You're from a medical professional. If you're not a medical professional, mm -hmm. ask those challenging questions. Like, do I really need that test? Yeah. Or is that the right path for me? Or should can we consider some other things? And so then when I think about someone like you, Terry, mm -hmm. and I think your team, just the idea of having, you know, if I'm going in for a, a consult with a doctor on a, maybe it's a second opinion or mm -hmm. it's, you know, it's a complicated medical scenario. Um, boy, would I love to have a professional, an RN, who understands the medical world to help to ask those questions on my behalf. It's just mm -hmm. such, such an important service. Um, well, thank you, Julie. And um, we try to treat everybody as if they were our own family members. A lot of times people collect more doctors the, the older they get. Yeah. And, and there's a certain professional courtesy that doctors don't always want to disagree with other doctors or discontinue medications. And before you know it, you're 85 years old, and you're on 15 different medications. And polypharmacy of the elderly being on too many medications causes countless falls, accidents, confusions, other types of health concerns. And it's a lot easier for a professional um, advocate to say, for instance, I have a, a client right now that's been on Ambien. Um, it's a sleeping pill for years and years and years. And she feels like she absolutely has to have it. But there's all kinds of current data that older women on Ambien is dangerous. Mm. They do sleepwalking. They they even had a show on the news once about the, the dangers about Ambien. And um, so one of the first things I identified was that she was on three or four psychotropic medications plus Ambien. And she was um, showing a lot of signs of sleep deprivation um, because these medications weren't mixing well. And so those are the kinds of things. Sometimes I call um, our nurses helicopter pilots. We come in and we look over the whole situation. Sometimes people call us in for one 
problem and we come in and look over the whole situation and we might find several other um, issues that need to be investigated. Mm -hmm. And it's really helpful. I'm finding that doctors are very much more open to patient advocates than they were 10 or 11 years ago when I started my business. Way back when they didn't understand what an RN patient advocate does, now they see us as partners, especially for their more complex clients. They feel so relieved when somebody takes their health care seriously enough to hire their own RN patient advocate. And we're talking about dementia today, and one of the biggest things. In fact, I did a, um, a talk at the International Conference on Patient Advocacy a few weeks ago called The Other Pandemic, mm. Dementia. And during COVID, with all the isolation, and I know you've seen it too, Julie, the isolation caused people with early dementia to progress so much more rapidly because isolation isn't good for the human brain or the human soul. And we saw a lot of people that had what they thought was mild cognitive impairment just escalate into really unsafe living situations. And families were trying to handle this on their own, and they didn't want their loved ones to go into congregate communities. Of course, nobody did um, during the last two or three years, but um, the families were getting burned out. The primary caregivers were stressed out all the time, having sleep problems, losing 20 or 30 pounds because they were worried all the time. And so right now, I want to say at least 40% of our clients have some form of dementia. And we get calls um, every week from family members that are at wit's end. And some of them have resources to be able to give them good choices and um, and we can give them some really good referrals. Um, and others are really concerned about money. And honestly, you do have to be concerned about money um, these days. I'll tell you a quick story of a sad case um, I found last, last week. I had a, a couple people, I have a Daily Herald column, so I get calls from my Daily Herald readers all the time. I have a column every Monday. And um, so people reach out to me and say, oh, I saw your article on, on dementia last week and our family's really struggling. My mom's having this, that, and the other problem. And we just don't know what to do. This is what's happening. And so on this one particular case, I said, you know, it might be worthwhile gather the entire family together and just do like a 90-minute consultation. That's not very expensive at all. And I went out last Saturday to the home. And, um, this is um, this was a case where a woman was only 70 years old. And over the past six months, she's developed some really disturbing and unusual behaviors. And 70 is kind of young for Alzheimer's and most people don't realize, but there are at least 10 major types of different dementia. And I strongly um, was worried about the early onset and some of the behaviors she was having. She was exposing herself um, to um, men having like hypersexual behaviors, walking across a busy street, climbing out of windows in her house. Her husband was, um, 
experiencing severe caregiver stress. This was not usual behavior for her at all. And I went over to the house and I saw all these behaviors full, firsthand myself. And she thought it was funny to just stand up in the middle of the room and just drop her drawers. And, um, and so normally people have safeguards in their mind, but with certain types of dementia and certain types of your brain, particularly the frontal area and the side of your brain, um, some of these behaviors can be a red flag. And um, so the first thing I, I said to the family was I want her to have a thorough evaluation by a trained neuropsychologist to get her diagnosed because I don't think it's Alzheimer's. I think she has a different type of dementia. I'm not an expert though. And a neuropsych exam is paid for by insurance. And unfortunately this family didn't have a lot of money. Um, so I went and I said, the first thing you have to do with dementia is be concerned about safety. <laughs> and, and you have to talk about money when you're concerned about safety. And so I educated the family on different levels of, of care, depending upon what the financial um, limitations were. But I said, first of all, you have to get her diagnosed. Second of all, you have to get her treated by a trained neurologist that specializes in, in dementia. And and most importantly, you have to think about long-term care planning and what you can do. Because somebody with this type of dementia that's not physically impaired, she's going to need a locked memory care unit. And she's her family's going to need Medicaid planning because they're going to run out of money very quickly. And yes. they need to preserve some of his money. So I was able to give them a referral to a cost um effective Medicaid planning attorney also. And then I just really reinforced that the husband can't do this much longer because he's already experiencing caregiver burnout and she's not safe at home. He went shopping last week and locked all the the doors and took off all the handles for the cranks for the windows. And she went into the bathroom and crawled out a window and walked across the street uh, and they live on a busy street so anyway um this is kind of a sad case but the number one thing you have to think of when people with this type of dementia start escalating you have to get them treated with the right medications and then you have to think about what your options are for memory care because a skilled nursing home is not going to be able to take care of someone like this they're not locked and she's going to need to have a secured um, place to live so that's just one example of where knowing that there's really different treatments for different kinds of dementia makes a huge difference and you have yeah. to have that conversation early oh you do and several several important points there uh, mm -hmm in that one story, mm -hmm. uh, you know, the, we, we also, and I, you know, I would say that over 50% of our clients have some sort of dementia. And as you mentioned, dementia is an umbrella term. Yeah. There are the, the various, and most, and, and most people don't understand that. And yeah. you know, why would they, right? The people mm -hmm. are living their lives, but you and I live this day to day. Mm -hmm. And, with the different kinds of dementia, as you just 
explained with different parts of the brain being effective, affected. Um, it's so, as you said, so important to, to determine that as early as possible. Mm-hmm. Neuropsychologist is the right referral. Um, because you can have people who have, if, the great majority of people, Terry, as you know, have Alzheimer's. I think it's about 65% of mm-hmm. all diagnosed cases are Alzheimer's. And the thing about Alzheimer's, because it affects a different part of the brain, is yeah. it, affected um you know primarily the hippocampus first which you know holds a lot of our memories our short-term memories the whole brain eventually gets affected but you can you can make someone safe um if there are different considerations to keep someone safe as you described than if they have this frontal temporal dementia and so that's such an important point that you make is you know they're different the brain's affected different ways and keeping someone safe is the biggest priority and then you also have to think about as i know you do you know what is the family going to be going through yeah Mm -hmm. with this kind of uh different kinds of dementia that are being diagnosed um can the is there someone at home that can truly care for that person and what's their life going to be like yeah Mm -hmm. do they go from and you know i'm sure you see this a lot i know you see this a lot um Mm -hmm. you you know you have family members that are incredibly loving husbands wives and they want to continue they turn they want to continue to be uh loving spouse as the disease progresses though they their roles change Yep. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they, as they take on more and more caregiving and caretaking responsibilities, um, the relationship changes. Mm-hmm. And um, the, you know, there's so much burnout that happens with caregivers. I mean, mm-hmm. there's all sorts of studies done about the stress for caregiving for a loved one with dementia. So, Getting, you know, getting your loved one diagnosed as soon as possible, putting the right resources in place that you can afford. You know, there are many people that can afford to bring in caregivers. Mm-hmm. That's a wonderful option that people can have if, mm-hmm. they, if they have that option. Yeah. Yeah. But if they don't have that option, and for those of folks that aren't listening, and we've had uh, different estate planning attorneys on that talked about Medicaid because that's such an important thing for people to understand mm-hmm. that the, the, so many people don't have the funds to take advantage of different right. resources. They need to understand Medicaid isn't a bad thing. It's actually a wonderful thing that can allow, if you if families don't have large amounts of resources, uh, Medicaid can help provide really, really good solutions, but you do have to have, you have to qualify for Medicaid. Mm-hmm. And so often you need a estate planning attorney to help you do that. So let's talk a little bit about, um, you know, you're, you're how to talk to your loved one with dementia um, and what professionals 
need to be part of the team mm -hmm. that the family consults with. Um, we refer to some, but Terry, what are some of the people that you, you try to refer to and make sure the family has access to? Well, um, we, we think it's really valuable for um, families to get really educated on, first of all, how to talk to people with dementia, because when you try to figure it out on your own, you just get more and more frustrated. And before you know it, you're just treating them like a child, which, um, you know, people can tell when their own children are treating them like children. And it's um, disrespectful and um, it makes them feel like they're always doing something wrong. And, um, and to constantly be reminded, oh, mom, you just said that five minutes ago. Um, I had a, um, a, I have a case, I'm actually gonna see this woman this afternoon, a case um, of five kids, there's four sons and one daughter, and they are getting increasingly concerned about the mom living by herself. Now I went over and met the mom and physically she's in great shape. And if you talk to her for five minutes, you think, oh, she's pretty sharp. But then you're there for a while. And she was so nervous about this strange nurse coming over to her house that she hid her um, purse and her checkbook. And then she forgot where she put it. Mm -hmm. So um, when I came in and sat down, my purse was the same color as hers. It was brown. And she kept staring at my purse thinking maybe I had stolen her purse. And I showed it to her and explained it to her. And, and we warmed up over the, the entire meeting. And then at the very end, she, um, her daughter said, now, mom, where's your purse? And she said she didn't know. And we, we looked in every room in the house and we finally found that she had stuffed it down in the front hall closet next to the laundry room where she stored boxes and she was hiding it in case I was gonna come and steal her purse. And when she finally found it, it was like a light bulb moment. She said, oh, I guess I really do have trouble with my memory. Mm. But then, you know, when I left, she forgot about that whole incident. Mm. Like when her ki other kids asked her about it, so when the neuropsych exam um, was completed, it showed severe impairment. And um, the neuropsychologist said, you know, it's probably not safe for her to live by herself anymore. And she continued to resist that and saying she didn't want anybody else in her house. And she didn't want to move. She loved her home and it's a beautifully decorated home, but she's not able to, to keep it clean. She can't cook anymore. And so this afternoon, um, the, the kids keep calling me, oh, mom went for a, um, an, a mile and a half walk to the post office last week and she didn't take her phone with her. And so she was missing for a couple of hours and we were all, you know, really nervous because it's a main street. Yeah. And so now we have some safety concerns, but it's really, really hard to have these discussions because short-term memory is impaired with people with Alzheimer's, but the remote memory is not. And so um, she might ask me five times in 15 minutes for my business card. So I know she's got short-term memory issues, 
but she forgets that she asked me that, so she can't remember evidence of short-term memory problems. But the kids have now gotten to the point where they just really feel that safety is such a concern. They're bringing me in to have a difficult conversation. Do you want somebody to be in your home or do you want to go live in an assisted living or, or, or mild memory care environment? Because her doctor said last week when he read the neuropsych, he said, yeah, she can't live by herself anymore because the disease is progressing right. and um, the family loves her. They're nervous. Um, and so sometimes patients believe nurses over family members because there's all these strings attached with family, right? You know, there's all these power struggles and, oh, you're just saying that because of this. But when a nurse comes in, people automatically trust nurses. We've been top of the list of the Barna research poll for I think 35 or 36 years for most trusted profession. And I think most of America understands we have no skin in the game. There's no reason for us to lie to anybody and we're trained professionals. And so we're not going to tell them anything that's not true. And so um, the family's bringing me in to have that discussion. And these are educated people, lawyers, doctors. I mean, doctors hire us all the time because they can't figure out how to navigate healthcare for their own family members. It's very, very hard right now. Um, and so one thing I tell people all the time, don't get frustrated or impatient with them or talk disrespectfully. Just love on them. If they ask you the same question, you know, 10 times in a half an hour, just answer it nicely. You know, give them things to do that are meaningful. They want to feel valuable. Every time you roll your eyes and treat them disrespectfully, you're dishonoring them. Oh, yeah. and, and they paid a debt to you, and now your debt to them is going to be patience. I mean, we know how hard it is to raise two or three-year-olds, and we were patient with them. So now <laughs> it's our turn to be patient with our parents. And get educated, read books, look at online videos by Tipa Snow. She's hilarious. <laughs> you know? She's hilarious and she's so um, smart. Yeah. Smart. She's really, she really is. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I'm, I, and we don't, we really don't have much time left, but I just, you're, 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 no, don't apologize. This is such really, this is spot on information to this topic mm -hmm. is um, the, so many times, you know, people, adult children in particular, and this was my case with my mom when she, you know, was suddenly diagnosed and her, she, she was diagnosed with a mixed dementia, mm -hmm. Alzheimer's, but also vascular dementia. And it came on quickly, the vascular part, because mm -hmm. she had many strokes. Mm -hmm. And I knew nothing about the disease. Like most people, it's like, you know, we're busy people in life. Yeah. And we don't, if we haven't experienced it, we don't understand it. And right. so I will tell you what you're talking about is for me, and I know for you too, education is fundamental. Mm -hmm. Education, it, 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 when families understand dementia, mm -hmm. uh, and once I understood the disease, and unfortunately it was after the fact that my mom passed, because during the period of time, uh, she 
from the time she was diagnosed to the time she passed away was a very short period of time. It was 10 months. And I didn't understand the disease. Mm-hmm. And so unfortunately, I, I didn't, my relationship with my mom isn't, wasn't what it could have been. Mm-hmm. Uh, had I really understood the disease, because I did, I got impatient with her, mm-hmm. you know, and I got very stressed out because I wanted to do everything for her and I didn't know how to. Mm-hmm. So Terry, your advice to read up and learn everything about the disease that you can. We're all so busy, but there is an amazing amount of great information out there, videos where you can get snippets of information that are, would be very helpful. Yeah. And take care of yourself too. People that are in the midst of it don't realize that being a primary caregiver for a loved one with dementia is the most stressful job in America and the most unappreciated. Um, right now. So you have to give yourself a break. You have to go out to lunch with girlfriends. You have to have those spells where you can just drive in the country or go shopping without your mom or, or something. So you can just let your mind wander and renew yourself or, or go over to a girlfriend's house and, and watch a funny movie or something. If you don't take care of yourself, you're going to feel worse and worse and worse because you're going to start yelling at your parents. And, and you and I both know that sometimes people get downright abusive because they can't handle the stress anymore. Yes. And then they feel terrible about themselves, but it's normal to feel stressed. It's really hard. And so you're, it's like, you know, put the oxygen on yourself first, right? The bad classic uh, analogy in an airplane is so true for caregivers of loved ones that are going through various chronic diseases. But, you know, caring for someone with dementia is incredibly stressful. And the more you understand the disease and that, that really helps alleviate the stress and hundred percent, Terry, take care of yourself. Yeah. No, you have to make time for exercise. You have to make time for those fun connections that you've always had in your life. So great advice. We're out of time. Okay. Thank you. Terry, thank you so much. Um, for everyone who's watching, if you're thinking about, you know, you have a, a family member that uh, is going through something, you're going through something medically, and you really feel you could use a nurse patient advocate, there's no no better one out here than the, the lady that we're, that we're speaking to today. So thank you, Julie. Same back at you. You're an awesome person. And I, I love uh, partnering with um, people as, as wonderful and patient centered as open Arms solutions. So thank you. Okay. Thank you. Take good care. Okay. Bye-bye. I know. Bye-bye.